this needs to be biopsied. It looks very much like cancer. And that's where it started. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. This morning, I'd like to introduce you to a dear friend who is a wife, mother of six, grandmother of 17, an accomplished violinist, a retired elementary school teacher, who has been inducted into the Hall of Heroes at Nathan Hale Elementary. She is the winner of Stories of Strength on ABC 15, author of The Cancer Effect, and a breast cancer survivor. May I present Claudia Bretzing. Claudia, are you ready to share your story of hope? Yes, I am. So we are going to talk today about your story and uh, some of the things that you learned and some advice that you would give and finish off with a couple of questions. But um, let's set the stage. And why don't you give us just a little bit of background of what life was like to for you leading up to this um, huge trial that entered your life in the form of breast cancer? I'm a very energetic, positive person. My life was very, very busy. Um, out of my six children, one was still living at home. She was getting ready for her senior of, senior year of high school. And I was teaching second grade. Um, I enjoyed life. I, I was felt very in control of my life and was a goal setter. Um, very, very active. And it, you can see why a, um, a surprise such as a cancer diagnosis totally turned my world upside down. Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine. That summer we were actually, Brittany and I, my youngest, uh, were planning lots of fun things to do her senior, senior year of high school. We were going to, um, you know, do lunches together. I was excited about taking her shopping for school clothes. It was just an exciting time of life. I was also a busy grandmother. I had um, some of my grandchildren live in town. So I was always involved in their life and their um, activities. And I just enjoyed being a mom, a wife, and a grandmother, and a school teacher. Life was good. That is awesome. So what year was this, Claudia? It was 2009. When, when did you get that diagnosis? Well, what happened was I noticed, um, that one of my breasts looked different and, um, to the point where my nipple was inverting a little bit. And I just thought, that's kind of strange, probably old age, you know, how you're, you start sagging a little bit here and there. And I was (laughs) thinking, oh man, this is, this is interesting, but I didn't really pay a lot of attention to it, unfortunately, because, I relied on my yearly mammograms, and I had, had just had a mammogram the summer of 2008. Everything was great. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel a lump, and I was a very busy person, so I didn't take time to even worry about it. 
Well, it was time for my next mammogram, the beginning of the summer of 2009. And so I went to my nurse practitioner and I kind of pointed out, okay, look at this breast. It looks a little different to me. What about you? And she didn't seem concerned at all. But she said, we do need to just do a another a mammogram and it's and I was concerned about my insurance paying for it and she said no this is diagnostic so we're just going to go ahead and do it now and I was, really wasn't too worried about it mm-hmm. but um, I went and I was set into a world of worry when they wanted to do an ultrasound on that breast and after two ultrasounds uh, the radiologist then told me you know this needs to be biopsied. It looks very much like cancer. And that's where it started. Oh, my uh, goodness. With, within probably two weeks of that visit and a million different crazy, <laughs> crazy things that are described in my book that I went through, which is what almost every cancer patient goes through. Where do I turn? Where do I get a bi- biopsy? What do I do now? Um, I was diagnosed on July 7th, which happens to be my husband's birthday. Oh, wow. After the diagnosis, then I, I needed to make an appointment with a surgeon. Finally, I had chosen a surgeon I trusted. And from there, (laughs) we began the journey. Oh, my goodness. So how, how did your, especially your daughter at home and your husband take the news? You know, um, not very well. (laughs) They were very supportive. My husband was very positive. I know he worried a lot more than he showed because he's a medical person. He's a dentist. He could understand the terms a lot better than I could. Mm -hmm. Um, My daughter was thrown into a complete chaos in her life. She's already a worrier. She withdrew within herself. Um, luckily during her school year, she had a very good counselor that helped her through things and was aware of the diagnosis. So, um, that helped her a lot. She didn't have siblings in the home to talk to. That was really hard. She still struggles a lot, even though it's been, uh, nine years since Mm -hmm. the cancer diagnosis, she still struggles a lot with the memories. Um, She's the one that's had a hard time reading the book I wrote about my journey simply because she was such an integral part of everything and it brings back memories. Um, She won't watch a movie where a person in the movie is diagnosed with cancer, has to deal with cancer. She'll turn it off. It's really hard for her. It's been hard. Yeah, that, that sounds like it. So we've talked about your husband and your daughter that was a home But what about you? What were some of the initial emotions and thoughts that were going through your head when this diagnosis was pronounced? Being the optimistic person that I am, I talked myself into, okay, you know, this is okay. I will get the treatment I need and then my life will resume its normal path. In fact, when I found out I would have to have six treatments, three weeks apart. I set my goal of when the ending would be, which would be the beginning of December. Mm-hmm. And I knew, great, that's great. I love Christmas. I'll be done by this by then, and everything will return to normal. I can do this. So I, I tried to face it very optimistically. 
um, of, of course, what you don't know mm-hmm. <laughs> helps you to be optimistic. And so I found, though, that that when the physical treatment is over, you still have an emotional battle. And that's what I wasn't prepared for. No one prepares you for this. Um, so one reason I wrote my book is to prepare other cancer patients for what follows the end of your treatment. Um, my treatment actually was extended and it ended up going through March. So that was a big blow. And that's when I was starting to lose hope and was becoming discouraged and worn down with the whole process because it didn't end when I wanted it to end. I didn't have control anymore. I, I wanted to control how this was going to go. And I lost control of that, which is really a good lesson in life because you need to learn to let go of so much control, trust in God and realize that he's got that path. He's got it. And you need to let him lead it instead of feeling like I'm going to take care of this. I've got this. No, you don't. (laughs) But (laughs) you know, that is a lesson that I think is so much easier to talk about than it is to go through. I mean, it's one thing to say, I'm going to let go, but what were the emotions that were raging within you when, when everything spiraled out of control? I mean, how did that feel? You feel, um, it's a panic. Okay. I went through some very large panic, you know, emotions where I thought, okay, what is happening to me? My body has take has been. I've trusted it. It it let me do everything I wanted to do. I had energy. I could complete the tasks I wanted to do. Granted, I overplanned most of my life <laughs> and tried to get too much into one day. But I now lost trust of my body. My body let me down. Mm. Um, I had taken care of it. I hadn't taken in harmful substances. I ate pretty well. I mean, you know, I mm-hmm. like fast food as well, but <laughs> you know, I, I took care of myself. I ate well, I, I got enough sleep and now my body has let me down and I have something now that could be life-threatening and I have to take in chemotherapy, which is a very, very strong drug and it's going to affect my body and it's going to affect maybe the rest of my life. Um, I was really worried about I, when I went to see my surgeon, he said I would have to lose my left breast for sure. And he said, I, with the kind of breast cancer you have, it very, very often goes into the other breast as well. So we're going to do an MRI and see. And he did. Yes, it had already started, even though the mammogram showed nothing on the right really? breast. And so now they have, they have 3D imaging which I suggest for people, especially with dense breasts. My breasts were dense, and it was hard to see them in 2009 on the kind of mammography they had at the time. And so they couldn't see it, but the MRI showed it. So they were going to remove both breasts. You have to deal with that thought. Um, That's really hard to deal with. I pretty much tucked that back. Then the other thing I had to deal with, was knowing that the kind of chemotherapy a breast cancer needs is going to uh, cause loss of hair. My hair was going to fall out. Mm-hmm. This, this is a lot to handle, and I, tr- I pretty much put, took a file 
put it in my brain and put things I couldn't handle into that file, closed it up and tried to be optimistic, tried to be um, in front of my friends especially and my family. I felt like I had to be strong for them, which is another danger because you can only do that so far, so long before you really have to face those emotions. It's like when someone dies um, that's close to you, 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 you get through that. But then you've hidden, you've taken your emotions and put them aside because you can't deal with them. It's sort of like a race where there's a finish line and you think, okay, this is the end of my treatment. I'm going to get there and everything will be okay. But you forgot your emotions. You left them at the beginning of the race because you couldn't deal with everything at once. You only have so much energy to deal with so much. Your, your body can only take in so much. And I think when you get to the end and realize you have to go back to the beginning, pick up those motions, you have to face them, which is hard because you thought you were going to be done and you're not, you're only at the beginning, beginning again. Um, this is really hard to explain. I don't think unless you've been through a, a life threatening diagnosis, mm -hmm. do you understand this? You can, um, one way to maybe describe it is we went to a movie I, I hadn't done, had any of my treatment yet, hadn't had my surgery yet, but I knew I was go what was ahead. Right. I w we went to a movie. It was a comedy. I was able to escape all the worries I had for two hours. Mm -hmm. But when the credits started coming and I knew what my real life was, I burst into tears. I cried all the way home. Oh. How, you know, it was... It was like my body was paying me back for taking a break and trying to escape. It's so hard to deal with. You can't face it all at once. And so you file it away and you only deal with things that you can handle at the moment. Um, that makes a lot of sense, Claudia. Um, and I like I like the way you described it. It's kind of like putting a pause or watching a movie and then at the end of it, you remember, oh yeah, and now back to real life. Um, and... I just think that would be tremendously uh, challenging to deal with. Um, and I'm sure we can dive into advice for friends and family and close members um, later on in the advice section of how they can help people, because I'm sure your husband was quite shocked um, to have you burst into tears after a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he was, I, like, you know, oh no, what now? <laughs> I, have to, I have to give credit to my husband. He, he was so supportive and he was really the only one that saw my meltdowns and yet he handled them well. He supported me. He gave me lots of hugs. He was, he didn't back off and not know how to handle it. He was there for me. That is so important. Your husband or loved one that's just your number next next person to you has to be strong and, and there for you. And I know it's hard for them as well. It was hard for him because he had to still go to work. He had to, he had his dental practice. He owned a business and the people that worked for him had to have, you know, he had to pay them. Things had to keep going. And it was a very difficult thing. He wanted to be with me 24 seven, but when he was there, he was there and, um, great support. Very yeah. important, very important to have. That is so crucial. Thank you for sharing that. So um, I know that the loss of your breasts was very difficult for you and the loss of your hair was difficult for you. 
these are huge losses. Um, were these the hardest part of the treatment for you? You know, I didn't face the loss of my breast right away. That one I filed away. Okay. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, just because it was so hard. So you just um, kind of took that and you stuck it in the file, even though it had happened, you said, I, because you had so much to deal with ahead of you, you kind of reserved your emotional energy for the chemo and all that stuff. Is that what I, you're saying? I did. Um, okay. The loss of breasts, I, that was, <laughs> I can't even explain how hard that has been. It's still hard. I still miss them. But that one, the other, the good thing about it, which is what I looked for, always the good, was mm -hmm. that then the cancer was removed. Okay, so now we have to hope it hasn't spread. Gotcha. Uh, it did go to my lymph nodes. That's why it was a stage three. And they removed my lymph nodes on my left side, all of them, because there were several that were affected by the um, the cancer. Okay. But that one I, I, had, to, I had to file away because... I, probably because it was so hard, but ahead of me was the loss of hair. And that, that is, some people take it a little easier than others. For me, it was very, very difficult. My family did not see me bald. Some people go out and I admire them for being able to go out in public bald, mm -hmm. able to face life bald. I could not do that because I didn't look like myself anymore. I felt vulnerable, small, even rather even humiliated. It was hard to venture forth bald in public, even with my family. I did not want them to remember me this way. And so I always wore a wig or a hat. And at night, I covered my head with a terry cloth cap that um, sort of like a small little turban that kept my head warm. That That's what the wig people, the wig store had me buy because... At night, you don't realize that when you don't have any hair, your head gets cold, especially in the oh, winter. Oh, yeah. That makes that sense. That was one thing I, yeah. So my surgery was J July 29th. School started August 6th. Oh, wow. My chemo, my first chemo was third week of August within three weeks of my surgery. Um, and so I could not start the school year, but I had a very capable substitute who had graduated in elementary ed and had said for me before in previous years. So she knew my style of teaching and I, I did the lesson plans, but she took over. And so I, my first four months of chemo for the first semester of school started out with, um, chemo and it took me about a week to recover. I returned to school. I taught for a couple weeks and then chemo, and then I recovered a week, and then I taught for two, a couple weeks. So every three weeks, I would have a, 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 a treatment. Mm -hmm. And this was hard because um, you don't feel very well after your chemotherapy, and there's all different types of reactions. Uh, the first chemo was the worst, and then they learn how to help you through a lot of that. My white blood cell count went to zero. And here I am in a classroom teaching second graders. <laughs> and oh my so goodness. my doctor, though, was extremely supportive. As I told you before, I was expecting it to end in December. And so I figured I can do that. I have an end date. However, I, my white blood cell count was not building up fast enough. So they had to, plus I was reacting. I had three chemo drugs and I was reacting to them very in such a way that I was violently ill 
And so I couldn't keep food down. I couldn't keep uh, fluids down. I was becoming dehydrated. Um, you know, they wouldn't, they thought they were going to have to hospitalize me, but they instead gave me home health care where they came and gave me hydration every day. So this could not happen. So they decided to only give me two drugs at once and then give me the third drug later, the one I was reacting to. I was actually allergic to the third drug, oh but, they continue, but they still continued to give it to me. So they were going to do that one by itself, which meant now my sessions were going to go far further into the future. Plus that I needed three weeks between treatments to build up my white blood cell count. They were hoping they could do them every two weeks, but they couldn't. So now I had a very long road ahead, which I was not expecting. Mm -hmm. And let's fast forward now into January. I reached my low because I was so worn out with it. The chemotherapy, one of my side effects was I hardly could sleep. I I couldn't sleep very well. Mm. And even in in the day, I had a hard time napping because I would get these these leg, restless leg syndrome where my legs would feel like I had to get up and walk or I couldn't stand it. They were crawling. It felt like my legs needed to, and even when I walked, I felt like they were just this nerve Nerves were crawling up and down it. I don't know how else to explain it. No, that's they could, that sounds yeah, awful, they, actually. Yeah, and at night I couldn't sleep. I laid there listening to my husband breathe, and it was so discouraging because I knew I had to get up and teach the next day, and I couldn't get my rest. So by the fifth month, of, by the time I reached the fifth month of this, it was extremely difficult to see how I was going to make it through three more months. Oh and, my goodness, I can only imagine. So it's it's the psychological yes. plus the physical exhaustion that's finally kicking in. You I mean your your chemo is killing a lot of things in your body and you're like, wait, what's going on? And you're not sleeping. So it was just a combination, wasn't it? It was. And I really believe my third chemo, I was now on the last chemo, uh, caused depression. Because ah. And not having really been a person that easily got depressed, I really wasn't sure what this was because all I knew was I wanted to just put the covers over my head and disappear. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I forced myself on the days I had to teach to get out of bed. By the time I was ready for school, I just sat there and cried thinking, I have to face 26 second graders today that are energetic, that need to be taught, how am I going to do this? But I forced myself, which was a good lesson to learn how to keep moving Mm -hmm. when times are hard. You have to develop a lot of self-discipline and courage. I got to school. Many times I was able to overcome it because I became involved in the students' lives. And actually teaching saved me. Because I I was going to ask you that. Yeah. If I didn't have to go and and think of other people and what their needs were and serve them, I would have been so turned into myself that I would have probably stayed in bed all day, which would not have been healthy, mentally or physically. And so the teaching, although it was very difficult, or continuing what you need to do in life, whatever responsibility you have, if you can continue this during your hard times, It helps you build up your hope. 
it helps you forget about yourself. And through serving others, you are able to reach, come out of that depression somewhat. And then I have to say, I did not do this all by myself. God helped me through this. I prayed. I prayed those times I laid awake in bed. Mm-hmm. I prayed and had and said to him, you know, you've got to help me through this. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And he did. And many times it was a feeling of just warmth surround me. Like I haven't left you alone. Mm-hmm. You're not alone in this. But many times it was through physical angels, people at school, friends, they just came along at just the right time, said the right thing. Uh, you talked about how I was inducted into the Nathan Hill Hall of uh, Fame. Yes. Um, that's one of the things that pulled me out of this. Well, I'll tell you that story. Um, yeah, please this do. Is, yeah, I was around close to the end of January and my principal She called the meeting and got me there with the idea that it was about our family bath night that we were getting ready for. But instead, she said, I need to tell you that our school has decided to paint your picture on the mural of Hale Heroes. Our our, uh, mascot was Nathan Hale Heroes. And um, they had already had a huge wall. It was a huge wall where an artist had come down and the children had actually helped her paint figures, hero figures. There was um, a firefighter, a military person, um, a policeman, a teacher. The principal was on there mm-hmm. and um, a, an astronaut. Just whatever the, the students felt were heroes in their lives. This is the what my principal did. She actually took her figure off and instead put my figure there. And I thought, you know, this, this was so touching to me that they were going to do this, that it gave me strength because I felt, okay, if the school thinks I'm a hero, I better start acting like one. (laughs) (laughs) I got to be the kind of hero for these children that they think I am. And so you, you kind of measure up to what people think you can do. And mm. so it gave me courage to go forward. Uh, it gave me courage to move on. Most of the time, I have to t- explain to you, nobody knew the struggles I was going through. In fact, the people that have read my book said, oh my goodness, we had no idea it was this hard for you. Why didn't you let us know? Well, I I put on a face of, I'm, I've got this, I'm good, which is good, but then I can tell you later why it's hard, makes it harder as well. Right. Um for the people who are trying to help you. But I just, but in inwardly, I mean, they didn't see a change in me probably, but inwardly I had the courage and the energy now, more energy to emotionally move forward through this and get through March where I had the end of my chemo was the end of March. And I made it. I made it because of the trust people put into me and through the angels on earth. There's, there's physical angels and there's angels in heaven that are, mm-hmm. are around you to help you through things. Sometimes you feel very alone and you just need to, those are the times I feel like, um, you need to even increase those prayers, increase your, don't lose hope, increase your faith. You know how faith and hope are connected yes, as well are. as charity and service. And so if you can keep those three things in your life 
and and just whatever you have to do, read your scriptures, pray, turn to the Lord, trust in him, let go of the feeling that you got this all by yourself because you don't, you mm-hmm. have to give up your feeling that I'm in control and you have to let the, him take control and trust in whatever path he has for you to follow. Oh, that is so wise. Um, and obviously it's something you learned kind of in your, in your hard time, right? Um, that absolutely, that is probably the biggest lesson. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my goodness. So, um, were there times that you felt, uh, heavenly angels around you and what, what was that like? There were mostly when I was totally alone at night and it was completely quiet around me. And I laid there with tears falling down my face because I was, I was just thinking, I am at the end of this rope. I cannot do this. Mm -hmm. And I would feel the presence of, I, of angels. I would just feel, I would feel warm again and I would feel comfort and hope. And I wasn't sure what, I feel like they were family members, people who knew me well Mm -hmm. that had gone on. I wasn't sure which one. Sometimes I'd wonder, oh, is this my grandma? Is this, Mm -hmm. I just felt comfort and peace. But there was a time when I was reassured. I felt the the words in my head, I love you. And I just, that was so real to me. They weren't words that came from me. They came from him. Mm-hmm. And he actually said those words to me. I love you, Claudia. And oh. I knew he knew me and personally. I mean, when you think about, sometimes we think, oh my goodness, there's so many people on this earth. How could he know me personally and know me, my thoughts and what I'm going through and understand them? But he does. He does know each individual and he knows what our struggles are. And I, at those times before I go on, I have to say, you have to take those small moments and remember them because they're not always there. You are also left alone many times to see if you will strength, you can strengthen that faith and strengthen it. But just remember those times to help you get through the dark times, which will continue to happen, believe me, (laughs) and pull them forward when the times are dark. And there's things that happen that like surprising hospital stays or, you know, about with an infection you get from having chemo and things like that. You have to use those times you remember. That is very sweet. So can I just ask you, how, how did you remember them? Did you write them down, Claudia? What did you do? I did. I wrote them down. I think writing your feelings down and keeping a journal as little energy as you have, taking the time to keep a journal as sparse as it is, just write down your feelings. That's what helped me recall a lot of this to share with others is I wrote it down. And if you can go back and reread, okay, this is how I felt that night. Okay, now I need to remember it. And when you reread it, those feelings come back to you because if you were able to um, express yourself, it comes back to you. And so that really helped. So this would probably be a, a good lesson for anyone going through a hard time then would be uh, write the blessings you see or blessings that happen to you. Is that what yes. you would recommend? 
I would. And sometimes it even helps to write down how frustrated you are. Absolutely. Because if you can get it out and you haven't talked talked to anybody about it, um, it just helps you release a lot of that, which is another advice I would like to give to Mm -hmm. people going through cancer is one of the tendencies we have is to pull in Mm-hmm. And not let it, anybody know. We don't want them to know of our struggle. We don't want people to worry about us. And so we don't share our feelings. And I was not aware, but there are breast cancer support groups out there. Now, wow. I don't know if I would have gone even if I was aware because I was so busy with teaching and 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 then recovering from chemo that I don't know how I would have ever made time, although it would have been one of the best things I could have done for myself because after I my treatment was over and the following summer came around mm-hmm. um, and I found out that I had not totally recovered, especially emotionally. I was now f- opening the file I ah, had stored yes. away. I needed help. And um, we had a, at our hospital, we had a social worker that my doctor referred me to, and she invited me to the breast cancer support groups. That was so healing because we were able to each share our story and help each other out. And I had never expressed any of these things except in my own writing. Mm -hmm. And being able to get that out helped me heal. That was one of the best things I did. And and if I had done that maybe during the journey, I might have been able to not have so many dark moments of depression. And why am I feeling like this? You feel like nobody else is probably feeling like this. Right. So I don't know if anybody would even understand this. So you keep it inside. But there are people out there that understand so well. (laughs) And they are the other cancer patients that are going through this. Right. That makes perfect sense. Um, I know I've found that same kind of support in autism support groups um, through the years because you do feel so alone. And I think the adversary tends to attack when you feel at your lowest point. Um, Let's just drive you lower, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. He will do whatever he can to discourage you. And believe me, there are many moments of discouragement, especially when you're not sure if the treatments are working. You're not sure if this is going to be the end or you're, you know, because you hear people where it come, it returns, it comes back. And is this going to be you? Or are you going to, you know, fully heal? It's, it's a lot of fears. You face a lot of fears and Satan is the, the uh, author of fear. Yeah. <laughs> and so you need to be able to uh, overcome fear. And that's another journey. <laughs> Overcoming yes. fear. Yes, I, it is. I have a, a lot of that I had to deal with. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So you've talked a lot about your story and the things that you did to connect yourself with God about uh, prayer and reading your scriptures. Can I say one more thing about prayer? Yes, one absolutely. Thing ch- one thing that changed changed a lot in my prayers was... I used to, when I pray, you know, I would talk to God and, and just at him maybe, Uh but my prayers changed. I was having conversations with him. I felt, you know, like he was answering. I, I, 
you know, I just felt like I was really talking in, in one-on-one with him. And that made such a difference. I felt like my prayers became more meaningful because I could share with him the things I had a hard time sharing with anybody else. Cause he knew, I knew he knew how I felt, you know? And so I expressed myself so much more one-on-one conversation. This is how I feel. And, and I can't do this. I need help. And this is how my you know, my students are, when I return back to school, they're, they're awful sometimes and uh-huh. I need to be more patient. And how am I going to fulfill my responsibility of teaching them the best I can? I was very hard on myself and help me not to be hard on myself and help me, you know, I just mm-hmm. really needed, it was a conversation and those prayers will change into a very personal relationship, which will help you through. And so your lesson that you learned going through all of this was the power of listening. Is that, is that right? Yes. You have to take time to listen. And many times in our busy lives, we just get up from our knees and go forward. We don't, you know, we say our prayers, but because I was awake half the night, I had a lot of time to listen. And I use, (laughs) I use that time instead of feeling sorry for myself. I listened and I soaked in that warmth and, and that's what got me through because I can tell you, I did not, I was sleep deprived So I needed the other strength that came from God to get me through many of my days because I don't know, I could not have done it. I did not get enough sleep. And so he gave me the energy and the power to do what I really felt I needed to do and what I had to do. Wow, that's incredible. Um, Was there a Bible verse that became significant to you at this point? Yes. Um, I found it in John 14, 27. It's interesting how I found it. I, I opened my scriptures one day at a low point and I turned right to that verse. I had already marked it in red. So my eyes went right to it, Mm -hmm. which says, you know, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And you know, I just knew that that was a personal verse at that time. It was another way of listening. He was speaking mm-hmm. that to me. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm I'm leaving you with peace. Don't be afraid. And that's hard to internalize. But yes. I had I. But that was another thing I could pull up and read often. And just don't be afraid. We've got. You know, we can do this. And a big part of cancer is fear. So. Along that same line, what advice would you give to friends or family members of someone who is going through cancer? Sometimes they don't know how to react um, because they are feeling so badly for you, but they don't know how to react. And so they withdraw. And I know I think I was like that before where Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, how do I, what do I say? Um, And just be yourself. Come, still come and visit. Um, just realize that we still need your friendship and we need you to treat us as normally as you can. You know, to, you know, don't consider us, okay, now something's different about you. We are still the same person. Mm-hmm. We are just dealing with uh, a health issue and we need your support. What kind of things did people do that were meaningful to you at that point? People that, I guess, got it just coming over, I needed to see them. I needed to know that, or even, even a phone call, just to know that they, they acknowledged the fact they didn't just 
disappear out of my life. You know, Mm -hmm. your friends, you wanted them to know and, and just be there and give you a hug. And sometimes they don't need to say anything. You need to say something to them and they need to listen. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing is that, that really I'd like to say is to keep your visits as short. Okay. We are really kind of tired out, you know, and it's, it's tiring to visit. And sometimes you don't want to visit the visit often will perk us up, but if you keep it short and not too long and overstay, that does perk us up. You get to a certain point where the visit becomes too long and it wears us down. Okay. Little thoughtful gifts. Sometimes just a card. I know that a card in the mail meant somebody was thinking about me. <laughs> oh, that cheered me up so much. I've saved them. I have every single card that have anybody really? sent me at that time. I did because they just brightened my day. And interestingly enough, those cards arrived at low times. And it was like, how did that person know three days ago to mm-hmm. put a stamp on a card and write a little message in it for me? And so um, those things help. Well, another thing that really helps, okay, and this is something that maybe people don't think about, is you think you need to help the cancer patient, but many times you need to help the family oh, by yes. um, not just maybe meals are great because um, the the person with cancer does not feel like cooking. Smells affect them. They are not usually they don't usually have a very big appetite. But they worry about their family being taken care of, especially if children are in the home. You worry about what your children are dealing with, but yet you can hardly deal with their emotions because you're, you're so, it's just so hard because you only have enough energy. And so look at the family. Does that, does that child need a ride to a game? And for me to sit there and cheer for them because mom can't sit there and cheer for them. Do they, Mm. are they struggling with math? So I know my daughter was going through, um, uh, trigonometry and she had such a hard time with that. And so I can't, I couldn't help her with it. Right. And so somebody came along to, to tutor her and help her along with that a little bit and just make it possible for her to deal with that class. Not only that, she had a very difficult teacher. And so Mm. she was dealing with that as well as her mother being ill. And, um, and if you can help fulfill the needs of the family, that helps the cancer patient feel, thank you so much, because I can't be there to right. see that dance recital tonight. I can't be there to get them to their games. I can't. My kids need to get out of the house. Thank you for taking them to the park. Thank you to, for taking them to Pizza Hut. You know, mm-hmm. you know, it's just something that really helps them, even though you're not you're not directly, you're helping the family. And that's a big help. And to do that, you have to know the, the person. You have to know what could possibly be their needs. One thing that does not help is, are the words, what can I do to help you? Because ah. they, it, it's a thoughtful statement, but I can promise you they will say, oh, I'm fine. We're doing great. Don't worry. Everything's fine. That's usually what they will answer. So and you're what, thinking, what okay, should we ask? That, that would be the question. What should we ask? I would say, don't ask, just do. Just, do. just say, hey, hey, I understand you're, um, that Tom needs to get to his game tonight. I'm going to come over and pick him up and take him. And I have to give you an example of that. My daughter, Brittany, mm-hmm. um, in 2009, I don't, most people remember, but the swine flu was a big threat as well. Oh. And she was one of the first people of all people in her high school to contract the swine flu. Oh, no. Living in a home with a mother that just had been through a chemo treatment. Oh, gosh. 
And I had an earthly angel come to my house, scoop her up and any of her things, her pillows and whatever, and take her to her house. She didn't come and say, oh, can I take Brittany over to your house, to my house? She just came and got her. And I would have never asked her to do that because I didn't want to expose her family to the swine flu. Mm -hmm. But she did the ultimate act of service by getting her out of my home where I... I had already been exposed, but I, I couldn't take care of her. Of course, my Mm -hmm. husband took care of her as best as he could before he had to go to work, but that's it. You just act. They'll let you know if that's not going to work out. No, he doesn't need to ride tonight. Dad's home to take him in time, but you offer, I think offering instead of asking is the, is the key. Offering instead of asking. That is, that is really important. And, and maybe talking to um, other family members to find out what needs there might be, possibly, something yes. like that. Talk to the husband, talk to the oldest, you know, the daughter there. Call One thing that really helped my daughter and made me so happy, it was as they had done it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, her little group at, at church of her age group had made her a blanket and brought it over to oh. give to her, you know, a a they just made her a blanket, a quilt of warmth, and let her know that we understand this isn't easy for you as well. And they supported her in so many ways. And so just checking with them, um, her adult leaders would always check with her and make sure, hey, how's it going? Can I come and have lunch with you and take you out to lunch? And and what, what can we do for your mom? I think it helps better to ask the family because basically I never really knew what I needed. I couldn't answer that question and it was frustrate me. You've done a very, very good job of describing that often, I think you described it as like chemo brain in your book. Is that how you described it? (laughs) I did. And many people that don't know about chemo brain don't really understand it, but it's real. I'm a second grade teacher. I stopped writing words on the board because I was spelling them wrong. Oh, no. It's, you know, words that my my children would say, Mrs. Bretzing, that's not spell. Is is that how you spell? I mean, the smarter, the the more intelligent kids that knew we're good. I'm going... Right. You got it right. Yeah, I, I did spell that wrong. And I would erase it because I honestly right then could not spell it right. And right. so <laughs> I just simple things. I couldn't follow directions. That was probably the biggest thing was trying to concentrate and follow a list of directions. There wow. is a chemo brain and it lasts for a little bit while. And you and when you spoke, it was hard to come up with words. So you talked a lot about how this journey, this cancer journey didn't finish when you were done with all the treatments. And that's the, that was a new concept for me to think about. I, I guess I have always assumed, kind of like you did when you started the journey, that once you're done, you're done. But tell us what it is we don't know. What don't we know about the journey, I guess, after cancer? You have to deal with the emotions that you couldn't deal with during the treatment. Whatever emotions those were, I finally realized, okay, my breasts are gone. Um, I couldn't have reconstructive surgery immediately. I had to wait a year. Many people are blessed with the opportunity during their removal of the breast, the mastectomy, they can have immediate reconstruction, and that's great. I was not a candidate for that. By the time the year had gone by, I was done. I did not want to face more surgery, more recoveries. It's several surgeries to have reconstruction done. 
Um, I'm not even sure it could have been accomplished in one summer between school years. So I elected not to do that. My husband was fine with it. I am still fine with it. But the, but I did need to provide something, so I had to get mastectomy bras and prothesis. I had to go through that. I didn't do it during my treatment. I didn't have the energy to face that as a mm. problem. And so I, I finally had to <laughs> have, you know, what I did before was I took my normal bras and I just put foam in them and everything looked okay, you know, mm -hmm. it wasn't a big deal. But now I had to make something more permanent as far as everyday wear. Gotcha. So I had to go through that and I had to realize, yeah, they're gone and I'm not getting them back. And it's a loss that you, it's sort of like not, I don't know how else to compare it, but maybe when you lose a loved one, mm -hmm. you still miss them. You get better at missing them, but the lot, the void is still there, but you are able to handle it as time goes on better but you still miss them. And I mm. still miss my breasts. Now my hair grew back. Luckily it grew back nice and thick. I was very blessed with nice curly hair. Uh -huh. Never had curly hair before. It still has <laughs> a lot of body and curl in it. It's not as curly as it was. And that was fun for me. That was a real perk. Those are things, those are losses that come, you know, you, those are physical losses. Probably the biggest thing for me was overcoming fear of of cancer returning oh, I because imagine. of being a hormone receptive, positive, positive, uh, breast cancer, there's always the chance that it's going to come back. And, um, I was not, I made the choice because of the horrible side effects to not take the, um, hormone blocker medicine that they prescribe to you. This makes you somewhat of a maybe you could say a hypochondriac because every time an unusual ache came or something strange happened, you know, I would tell my oncologist who happened to be a really great listener, mm -hmm. very important to get a good listener for your oncologist. <laughs> he would reassure me, okay, that one's fine. You're okay. I think we're good. I think that's just a, one of the things that you're the chemo, it takes a while for chemo to leave your body completely. That's just one of the side effects that's remained. Um, if he was concerned, he would do another scan just to be sure. I did have to have, there was a time when right after my chemo ended that he was afraid that it had gone to my brain because in breast cancer, the places that it will return are the brain, the liver, the lungs, or the bones. And I was having ringing in my ears constantly, never left Oh, and so wow. um, he wondered, okay, this is not a, a usual reaction to chemo. It's not one of the, the, the most common side effects of the chemo drugs that you have taken. So we're going to do an MRI on the brain. Luckily, it had not gone to my brain. Um, I did have a growth on my thyroid, which they had to uh, do a PET scan. To t they found that during the PET scan. They did an ultrasound, then they did a biopsy and determined they needed to remove the thyroid simply because they could not tell in the biopsy if it was cancerous. It was 50% chance of being cancer. Mm. So, you know, there was there were a lot of things I had to go through after the treatment. I had several surgeries after that. There were just lots of different things physically I was dealing with, but emotionally that I did not expect. The emotions were probably the hardest to deal with. I had to learn 
how to eliminate the fear of cancer returning. Yeah, how did you do well, that? Well, actually, this this was achieved probably two years ago because I had another scare. I was hospitalized, and they felt that, yes, the cancer has returned, and they had thought it had returned to an unusual spot in my abdomen, and my upper intestines had a growth on them and had uh, lymph nodes that were swollen on this one section of my intestine. And so they removed that section, and my oncologist was sure that the cancer had metastasized. Mm -hmm. It could have been that, or it could have been lymphoma. And um, that, at either rate, I would have had to be treated. So here I am having this surgery, having to wait for the results. And at this moment, I finally got to the spot where I said to my Heavenly Father, okay, you know what? If this is what is supposed to be, I'm good with it. If this is the path you have for me, I'm going to just do the best I can with it. And I'm okay with it. If it has returned, that's fine because this is what is meant to be. But I, I just had this conversation with God and I said, I'm good. I trust you now. And I let go of everything. And I didn't even worry about the results. I was not even concerned because I knew it was in his hands and I finally put it all in his hands. Sadly, that took me a long time to do, mm -hmm. but I did. And when I did that, um, my life has been just so much freer because I don't have fear. I know everything's okay. And I have learned to take every single day, enjoy it as a gift and use it to help others and serve because that's what brings joy into my life. Wow, that is very profound. Do you think it was just years of this just beating you down where you finally said, I can't control this anymore, and, and you just gave it to God? Was that was that the trigger? Yeah, because I'm really a, a religious person, so you'd wonder why it had taken me so long. I don't know exactly how it happened. I think I just needed time, and yeah. and I needed another real scare where they had to do more surgery. And that scare, for some reason, I was able to let go and say, okay, you know what? I don't have control. I'm tired. I'm worn down. I'm tired of worrying. I need to be happy. I love being happy. Mm -hmm. I love not having to have this anxiety. Let's get rid of it. Cancer causes a lot of anxiety. And it took me a while to let go of that. And it didn't help that some of my friends were dying, people I'd met in the, in the cancer community. I mm -hmm. could see, you know, I would lose friends. It would come back for them, and that was hard for me, and and that would also cause doubt. When is why them? Why not me? Why mm -hmm. am I, you know, blessed to keep going? Some of them had children that they were still raising. That was hard, mm -hmm. and so I just needed to let go of all that. And it, the sooner you do that, the better for you, and the better for everyone else around you. <laughs> wow. Although it doesn't answer all the hard questions, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. You just have to, sometimes those questions are not going to be answered and you have to be okay with that. You mm. have to be okay with the fact, okay, I don't have to figure this out. I just need to, to trust. To trust, trust that he's and, got it figured out then. Yes. And to have hope. Don't lose sight of hope in your life. Hope is what gives you the energy to keep going every single day. Have faith and have hope. I love hope. I appreciate every day. I think I think people who have been diagnosed with cancer learn to appreciate 
every day, every moment with loved ones, every flower they walk by, you learn to appreciate it. It's mm-hmm. it's great. And I love life and I just want to make the best of it. That is awesome. Oh, well, this has been fantastic. Um, are there any last tips you'd like to share? I would say that um, for the person diagnosed with cancer, you know, don't panic. Don't panic. Um, take time to find the right medical team or the right uh, treatment you would like. There's other things. Some people, there's other avenues. If you want to go the holistic avenue, check everything out. I went the medical route. I trusted in medical research and I'm glad I did. I would do the same. But take time to pick your your doctors because if you're not comfortable with your surgeon, if you're not comfortable with your radiologist or your oncologist, there's there are there are other ones out there and you need to be comfortable with them. That made all the difference for me. My oncologist and my surgeon were very personable. They were they had good bedside manner. They could take the time to listen. They cared about me. They called me at home to see how I was doing. They took time and you have to be able to relate to your doctor. And in cancer, that's really important. Also, um, seek out other cancer patients. I wish I had done that Mm -hmm. because they can help you. They can help you. Look at sometimes their blogs online of people that you you can read what they're doing. If you don't want to visit people face-to-face, go online and find people. Being able to relate to others helps you not feel so alone. Um, and avoid discouragement. You know, there's in cancer, you have to expect the unexpected. Pick yourself up and keep going forward. Mm-hmm. I just think that you can learn from others' experiences. It's a journey. Know that you're going to learn important lessons. Look for the lessons and learn from them. As you go along this journey, you are going to become a better person, more compassionate of others that are going to face this kind of journey. There's a lot of people out there being diagnosed with cancer. You can help them serve and help them along the way. And you're going to find that you will heal through connecting with others. Very, very wise words. Thank you, Claudia. And you can connect with Claudia at on her website, ClaudiaBretzing.com. That's C-L-A-U-D-I-A-B-R-E-T-Z-I-N-G.com. And her book is The Cancer Effect. And you can find that on Amazon. One other way that you can connect with Claudia is on Facebook. She has a page called The Cancer Effect. And you can follow her there. Thank you, Claudia. Thanks. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time, and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website. It is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes. And those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode so you don't have to remember what those were. And also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode you forget. What were those great things? So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com 
to look up these fantastic resources. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help bear that burden. Above all else, remember God loves you.